Let's turn to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 9, we'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And before we read God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do pray that You'll speak to us now, Your Word. As we contemplate Your Word and the Scriptures, we know that we cannot see with our eyes without You and You're strengthening our eyes and our mind and, and all these things to see. We acknowledge as well with thankfulness that You alone can give, a, you alone give us ears to hear, the ability to read and to hear, to see all our other faculties. And so, Father, we come now, we ask for Your help that we would not only hear with our ears and see Jesus with our eyes of faith. But Father, we ask that You would grant to us Your Word to be to move us in our hearts, that You would do that great surgery as the great physician to our hearts and uh, cleanse us of our sins and fill us with Your righteousness and uh, work in our from there to our thoughts, our actions, our emotions to cleanse us of our sin for Christ's sake. We pray in His name as well, Father. We, we do pray that You would humble Your servant, that we would know that this is Your Word and not any man's. Grant us discernment. But Father, we pray that we would not hear any men uh, words of men. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. And verse 1, these are God's words. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold... Certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed. And go into the, unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And those are God's words. Jesus is King 
of His kingdom. And as citizens of His kingdom, we must acknowledge His power and authority. And that's what we've been learning about since chapter 5. Even before that, but since chapter 5, Jesus has been showing us far uh, forth, uh, showing forth more and more of His power, more and more of His authority. That He is, has as the Son of God, as the God-man, Complete and full power and authority over all things, over bodies, over souls, and over all creation. And it is here, friends, in the passage before us that Jesus shows Himself more clearly than before. That He is King who reigns over all. That His power and authority extends not only to the soul, but to the body, to your soul and to your body. And that cannot be denied here because of the passage before us. The first point this morning, faith and faithfulness. Uh, Faith and faithfulness. Verse 1. It says, And he entered into a ship and passed over, and came into his own city. Jesus, he travels back. Remember, he had traveled across the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum. Now he travels back across the sea, back to Capernaum, across the Sea of Galilee to come to, it says, his own city. That might make you confused because you know that he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up in Nazareth. And here he is, uh, quite a ways away from that area in Capernaum, during the time of his public ministry, where he, he is spending most of his time in his public ministry. And it seems there were more of his people there who believed on him, and so it's deemed his city. And he owns, as God, the cattle on a thousand hills, He owns all things. All things are His by His being the Creator of all things. John chapter 1, He's the Creator of all things. But especially when His people are there in that area, that city, it's deemed His city. And when nations turn to Him, it's His nation. More so, we might say more specifically, as qualified as we have. And yet this is also where he was not welcome. He was content before a people who generally and mostly despised him. And this, as we've studied, was part of his humiliation. We see part of that humiliation here as he is accused of blasphemy. The last passage we read in the country of Gergesenes, they despised that uh, despised Christ so much that they called, told him to depart out of their country, to leave them, but not here in Capernaum. They, uh, though in many instances they despised him, they also still received him to be there. And this we must remember in our evangelism, friends. To many, and in many places, Christ will be offensive, and you'll be asked to leave. There's two parts to that thought. One, 
that Christ is king over all nations. As an example, if you go into North Korea, and of course they don't, they don't want you there as Christians, and they ask you to leave, you can say, and you know with full authority, no, this is Christ's nation. And the gospel belongs here. But there is another sense where one people do not want Christ, they do not want the gospel. We see it in the gospels many times with the disciples. You leave that place and depart to other areas. Because in other areas, He is glorious. And He is glorious to those people who are there. If one does not believe, you ought to know that another will believe. Because He promises us that uh, in the Scriptures, when He talks about the chosen, the elect people of God. And He promises us as we've prayed, the great ingathering of the Gentiles, which brings jealousy to the Jews. They're jealous over the Gentiles, and so many of the Jews come, and so that all His people are saved. In verse 2, it says, And behold, they brought to Him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. You look here and you see these caring friends of a man who is sick of the palsy. We've already heard of in the last chapter a man that Jesus healed of the palsy. He was paralyzed in great pain. And yet Jesus healed him by His Word even from a distance from that person. And here we are again, but this time a group of friends of a man with palsy, bring, they bring him to Jesus. This man could not come to Jesus by himself. He's paralyzed. And he needed to be carried. And this teaches us, friends, that even those who are paralyzed, who have diseases and bodily cancers and sicknesses and weaknesses, must be brought to Christ. They must be brought to Christ. And Jesus Christ, if they're brought to Christ, He will not reject them. Because He doesn't reject this man. And He doesn't reject the friends who brought Him. And you too, if you come... If if one who is sick with palsy or paralyzed is not rejected by Jesus Christ because He came to Him or was brought to Him, then you too will not be rejected. How much more you who will not be rejected if you won't reject the one who's paralyzed? If He receives the poor, then how much more us who are rich? And all of us in comparison rich to those who are poor in the Scriptures. Jesus here receives not only the man who is paralyzed, but He he also receives the friends who brought Him. And He acknowledges their faith. It says, Jesus seeing their faith. Their faith. They knew that Jesus could heal their friend. We of course know that from chapter 8. Of course, Jesus can heal him by His Word, even from a distance. He can do that. He doesn't even need to touch him. The centurion said, Speak the word only, 
and my servant shall be healed. The friends knew the power and authority of Jesus Christ. They had heard of it. They had believed that Jesus could heal their friend. And so they carry him to Jesus. And friends, you are called to carry, to bring your family, your friends, your neighbors, all those who need Christ. And that's everyone. Carry them. Bring them to Jesus. And you say, well, how can I do that? He's not physically here. You see in the passage how Jesus speaks to this man, how He speaks to the scribes, verse 4. He speaks just as clearly, just as directly to us as we've gathered together today before His throne spiritually as our hearts are lifted up before Him. And He speaks through His Word. And we're hearing His Word right now. And He's speaking to us through a sinful, weak instrument, an ambassador to each of us. And yet still He speaks. Friends, call your friends, your family, your neighbors to come and worship the King and hear Him speak words of life and also words of judgment, which He does here, words of life and words of judgment. He speaks both as Savior and Judge. If you have faith in the Lord Jesus, Jesus says, you will bring others to Him into His presence to hear Him speak. And you'll bring them to the public gatherings of His people where they gather to worship Him. That faith, friends, that is what you need. And it's a strong faith we see here in the passage. It's a strong faith. They firmly believed that Jesus could and would heal this sick man, the man with palsy. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone through all the trouble and difficulty and pain to get this man to Jesus. In our passage, it says they brought this man, they carried him. In Mark and Luke's Gospel, we see that Jesus is in a house. Mark's Gospel says, the house. And so, might give indication that perhaps... Jesus stayed in this house when He was in the area. But a great multitude, either way, a great multitude surrounded the house and so that the house was packed full of people who had come to see and hear Jesus. So much so that the multitude is not only inside the house, but it extends outside the door, outside the house, that you couldn't get in. If you try, Luke chapter 5, it says, And when they could not, that is the friends here in our passage, when they could not find by what way they might bring Him in because of the multitude, it goes on. Did they turn around then and go home? No, they believed. They believed. They made every effort to come to Jesus. They made every effort to hear Jesus. Because inside, Jesus was preaching. Jesus was preaching. They made every effort then to make their way to hear Him speak and to get their friend to Jesus. They went up on the roof, Mark chapter 2 says, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and, and He preached the word unto them. And they, that's the friends, 
They come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, four friends. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, so much of a multitude, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. They can't get in the door. There's people crowding the door. They're not going to be let in. So they go up on the roof. And they dig through the roof. And tear it up. All so that they can get their friend to Jesus. And to hear Him preach. To get Him to worship. And now look at your own hearts as it has to do with getting to and coming to worship, being here to hear the Lord Jesus speak. How zealous are you to hear Jesus speak and worship Him? Because these four men tore apart a roof to get to Him. To hear Him. And so what about you? What are you willing to do to worship the King and to hear Him speak? What if the government says, no, you can't worship it? Um, what if you're tired? What if you have family in town? These tore apart a roof to get to Jesus. They had a strong faith. And they knew that Jesus alone could heal their friend. They also have a humble faith. The man with palsy wasn't able to walk, but they dared not to ask Christ to visit their friend. For they knew, just like the centurion in the last chapter, they knew and they believed that He was the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus Christ, the coming One. And Christ is, in many ways, too high to ask Him to come to them. And He would come to their friend. But So they brought their friend. They picked him up and they carried their friend. Every step in faith that Christ, when they got to him, when they got to Christ, knowing he would heal their friend. And it's much more right that we would serve Christ than he would serve us. We owe him everything. He's given us all things in him and life forever. So they had a humble faith. And then not only a strong and humble faith, but they had an active faith. An active faith. Their faith in the power and authority and goodness of Jesus Christ. They brought their friend to Christ lying on a bed. He's lying on a bed as they're carrying him. A bed at that time, as it's described, uh, this would have been like a sleeping pad, uh, a mat, a rug, uh, almost uh, for our senses, right? To help us understand what they were carrying. And some of you men might know what it's like to, and how difficult it is to carry a grown man on a rug or on a mat, something like that. Uh, Maybe a, a few sheets. It would have taken a great deal, and that's just carrying a man from here, you know, like in a hospital. I had the opportunity to help transfer a body. He was dead, I'm sorry, but transfer a body to another bed. And it was very difficult. He couldn't move, right? A dead body couldn't move. A man like Palsy was similar to that. 
And just transferring to a bed was very difficult. Just think about carrying them for miles to see Jesus. They had a great deal of, it took a great deal of energy and pain to bring him to Christ. And what are you doing, friends? What are you doing, friends, in pain to get to Jesus? If it takes pain. Expending great amounts of energy to be here and worship Him. To hear Him speak to, uh, even to hear Him speak healing to your souls and your bodies. Such a faith regards no obstacles in pressing after Christ. No obstacles, not even a roof that they had to dig through. There are those friends who make great excuses for not being here to worship the Lord. But by God's grace, there are also godly examples in our own congregation. You can count, if you think of them, you can count on your hand how often they, year by year, that they are absent. You can count on your hand. Because they've determined in their hearts as families, individuals, no matter what, we will be present in the worship of God. And you know their their excuses for when they are not here are, well, they're sick with something that's contagious. Or they're traveling, visiting family. And you know if they're traveling, I hear about it, maybe you don't hear about it, but I hear about it. They're worshiping in another church on the Lord's Day. They're on vacation, worshiping in another church. But otherwise, they're here, morning and evening, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and that only by the grace of God. And so, and that's by the grace of God. Don't Those of you who that characterizes, don't grow in pride. It's only by God's grace. But there are others of you who make every excuse under the sun to not be here. To not be here. To, and to you, look at these friends. Look at these four men and all the pains and the trials and the energy and the tearing apart of a roof to get to Jesus. To get to Jesus. To hear Him speak to those people, to themselves. And so what will it be for you, friends? What will it be for you now? Those of you who are making every effort to be here, to be with Jesus, to hear Him speak, to those who bring others out, bring others out of faith to be here, and even those who come to want to see Jesus, you ought to be comforted to know Jesus sees your faith. Jesus sees your faith as He saw these, the faith of these four men and the, the, paral, the paralytic. But then you need to see as well that this faith also guarantees that Christ will forgive you. If you have that faith, that faith guarantees that Christ will forgive you. All who believe on Christ are forgiven. Christ seeing faith will always heal sicknesses and miseries at the right time, which may be in this life or the next life. But notice here, he doesn't heal the man's palsy right away, does he? That's not his point. That's not his purpose. That's not of first importance to heal the body. 
in this life and in this in his great sovereign plan. It's not. It may not be what is first importance. It may be of first importance to you. But to all who believe on Christ, they will be healed in their bodies and sicknesses in this life or the next. But if Christ is to heal sickness, if He is to heal your bodies, if He is to heal your miseries, as we heard on the last day, uh, excuse me, last Lord's Day, of the great miseries that sin brings upon all of our lives, if He is to heal the sicknesses and the miseries, then we see here that Christ will heal at the root first. For here He promises the paralyzed man to heal him by taking away his sin and forgives him. And so He says, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. He doesn't heal his body yet. What's of most importance is that his sins be forgiven because it's the sin that has caused him to be where he's at today. Not necessarily his own personal individual sin that caused him to be a paralytic or have the palsy, but the fallenness of man and sin in the world. And certainly for his sin, he deserved far worse than being paralyzed, as we all do. Oftentimes in our prayers, we pray for the many physical things that are going on around us. And we ought to be praying as well, both for the spiritual, for the soul. And here's the man of palsy. He's lowered down. Jesus forgives him of his sin. And notice the man with palsy. He doesn't say anything. The friends didn't say anything. But their faith is shown because they're there. And friends, while what you do does not save you, it does not justify you what you do or gain for you the grace of the forgiveness of sins, But you ought to know that justifying, just like James teaches us, justifying and saving faith, one who truly believes in Jesus, does work. Right? Doesn't save you, but it does work. It is active as we've already heard. But something maybe you have not considered in this passage or this account in the Gospels. Jesus says here, Son. This teaches us when the Lord forgives us of our sins, when He pardons our iniquities, it is Jesus who advances a man or woman or a child to sonship. It is Jesus who takes us who are the children of the devil and He makes us children of God. And so that here the man's sins are forgiven and here the man whose sins are forgiven is blessed, although his outward condition seems very miserable. Still. So Jesus says to the man who is still paralyzed, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. His body's not healed yet, but you have great reason to be of good cheer. Son, your sins are forgiven. What a blessing to hear that you're a child of God and your sins are forgiven. I remember here that sin is the cause of the sickness. In the big picture, the fallness of, of sin, the, fallen, uh, the fall of man into sin in this world, the palsy had come upon this man. We don't know 
if it was directly because of his sin or not, but it had come upon him because he was born in sin. And in God's providence. So God could show through Christ these great truths to us. But the remission of sin is the comfort and guarantee for the healing from sicknesses. It's not that the sickness may be be healed, but that it will be healed perfectly. And the forgiveness of sins and being a child of God, that is the guarantee that your diseases and the bodily ailments that you have will be healed at the right and perfect time. For to those who believe in faith the gospel of Jesus Christ, they repent of their sins. Their sins are forgiven by God. And to such like that, He promises Revelation 21, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. It is Jesus who is the great physician who heals all manner of sicknesses and diseases. What if? What is it, friends? What if it is, friends, that the Lord Jesus would heal your soul in this life, but not your bodies? What if you have a long-term ailment or pain? What is it? Jesus says here, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. They who, through grace, have some evidence of the forgiveness of their sins, have reasons to be, have reasons to have good cheer. Whatever outward troubles or afflictions they're under. Think of Isaiah 33. It says, And the inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. You might be sick. Jesus is saying there, don't focus on your sickness. Don't have that as the outward complaint of your life. And that it's always talked about by you to others. He's saying, your sins are forgiven. And so be of good cheer. There's great hope. There's nothing to complain about in this. You, one, you deserve that. <laughs> you deserve your sickness. You deserve your ailment. We all deserve death forever and hell. But that's not the focus. Our focus is on what is to come. On a life to come, a, a new life, a new body, a, a glorified body, that is. And so those who turn to Christ and to you today, that's the promise of the Gospel. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, on that cursed cross, so that you who deserve all those cursings would be blessed instead while He was cursed for you. Such like that, those who believe the good news are forgiven of their sins. All of their sins are forgiven. And so faith... And not faithfulness. Faith and forgiveness is a better title uh, point. Faith and forgiveness. Secondly now, healing and power. Healing and power. Verse 3 says, And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And this is what in the end led Christ to be crucified. And the chief priests, the Jews, crucified Jesus Christ. Their one big accusation against Jesus was that He was a blasphemer. That He claimed to be God. 
Because over and over, and here's one example, he claimed to be God. Why did he claim to be God? Because he was God. Well, of course, they didn't see it that way. He is God, and only God forgives sins. And so here he is, Jesus forgiving sin. Jesus, even unto this point in history, has already given much more sufficient evidence that He is the promised Messiah, the coming One, the Christ, but they wanted nothing of Him. They should have known this, that this was the Messiah, this was Christ, this was God. But they wanted nothing of Him. And they deny it. They deny who He is. The miracles were, we see throughout the Gospels, the miracles were threatening to them. But here is something their consciences couldn't handle. That Jesus said, a man's sins were forgiven. And in their mind they're thinking, no! No, it cannot be this way! Now He's claiming to be God! Right? Right? Sure, people are healed throughout history. We see that in the Old Testament. The Jews are thinking. The scribes are thinking. Miracles occurred, yes. But now Jesus is saying, He is Jehovah. No! It cannot be, the scribes say. But here you see more of Satan. The devil's design. More of what we heard last Lord's Day at the end of chapter 8. We see here how much hostility and enmity and hate there is toward our Savior and our Lord. Here is one of the greatest instances of heaven's power and grace granted through Jesus to a man. And it's labeled with the blackest, darkest description of hell's enmity. Calling Christ who has forgiven a man of his sins, blasphemy. It is the greatest thing that occurs on earth, the salvation of souls in which the angels rejoice, right? Over the one who repents than the many righteous. And here the scribes are saying, under the... uh, following of their their submission to the devil. This is blasphemy. And yet, the only blasphemy that was being committed here was the scribes. It was by the scribes. And he proves that he is God here, not with mere words, but with what he knows. You see verse 3, they didn't say that he was blaspheming out loud, did they? They didn't say it with their tongue, with an audible voice that you could hear. They didn't do that. It says, And behold, certain of the scribes said, Within themselves, this man blasphemeth. They were thinking this in their mind. And so how can anyone read their minds? The one who knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Only the Lord knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. You look at verse 4. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? A great sin to think 
in your heart that Jesus is not God. To think any sin in your heart is evil. And here their sin was blasphemy. Their own blasphemy was exposed for all the public to hear from the lips of Jesus. And they were put to open shame. How we would be put to shame if the Lord would reveal our own thoughts and our own intentions from our hearts. We would be put to shame. An ocean of sin would be revealed for all to hear and see. How would you feel about that? Hebrews 4 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Nothing can be hidden from our King, who is also our Savior. What do you think of in private when no one sees you? What do you think of in private when no man hears you? Children, children, when no one is around, your parents are not around, what do you think of? What do you do? What do you think of in church when you may seem to have reverence and you're serious about what we're doing here as we are before the Lord? What are you thinking about in the moment when uh, these, as these words come to you from the Lord? Jesus knows. Jesus sees them all. Jesus will one day summon us to the judgment when we will have to give an account for all those thoughts that are hidden in your heart. Romans 2, it says, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. And this is why we must thank the Lord daily for the blood of Christ. that He does cleanse His people of all their sins, even our thoughts. We ought to plead with the Lord often. Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Verse 4 again, it says, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. And saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose, and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. There is Jesus asserting his authority in the kingdom of grace. Showing that He's the Son of Man, the Mediator, has power on earth to forgive sins. And because of this, the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. He has given Him authority because He is the Son of Man. John 5 says, For the Father judgeth no man, but He hath commanded, excuse me, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. And then a few verses later, And hath given Him authority to execute judgment also because He is the Son of Man. 
John 17 says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee, as Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. The Son, Jesus Christ, has power over all flesh, authority over all flesh, that He may give eternal life to as many as are given to Him by the Father. That's why He's on the throne now, to save His people. Jesus, the Son of Man, has almighty authority and power to give eternal life. Therefore, He must have the power and authority to forgive sin. Because as judge... The judge, Jesus, will judge based on one's guilt. Because guilt from our sin is the bar that must be removed from us, or we will never enter into glory and have eternal life, but be condemned to hell. So what an encouragement then to all poor sinners who repent. That the power of forgiving sin is put into the hands of the one who can forgive, the Son of Man, who's the King. What authority then and power He has as He now sits on the throne as our mediator, priest, king, as the Son of Man, exalted to great, to, excuse me, to grant repentance and remission of sins, and so is both Prince and a Savior. Acts 5. Him hath God exalted with His right hand to be a Prince and a Savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And that they would know there would be a proof that He had forgiven this man his sins. The proof of His power and authority in His kingdom is that power and authority to cure diseases or work miracles. It's easy to say with the mouth, thy sins are forgiven. We could all say that with our mouth if we don't have any authority to do it. Jesus is the only one who does. But we could say it with our mouth. doesn't make it true, does it? But it's something altogether different to our senses to cure a disease by speaking. Declaratively, as a prophet, and with the authority of a king, and with the backing uh, that he was able to save as a priest, and actually do the forgiving. The miracles, friends, confirm that Jesus was the Son of God. That He has the power, shows that He is from God. The mercy He shows, He is sent from God to heal and save. For that's what He promised. His power over the body proves His power over the soul. For Jesus Christ is King and Lord and Savior over body and soul. The man at the command of Christ Jesus arose... He walked out of the house. And the great multitude that was in the house surrounded the house, saw it. They marveled and they glorified the Lord. A miracle may convince a man or a woman or a child to see divine properties in Christ. And yet it is not sufficient to grant them faith. That Christ is God and man in one person. For here is a multitude. Look at verse 8. They marveled, they glorified God, but they come short of a full testimony that Jesus is God and man. 
They glorify God who had given such power to men. But did they fall down before Christ and worship Him? They did not. The man before them was the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but they should have. When they heard that He forgave the sins, when they saw Him walking, walk out of the house, they should have bowed down and worshipped Him. Do you, friends, believe that Jesus is both Lord and Savior? That He is the one who alone can forgive sins, forgive you of all your evil, of all your sin, through His sacrifice, through His blood on the cross shed for you? To this man, just as He commands us, He says, go to your home. Be a blessing to your family. That's the first calling when we go out from here, to be a blessing to your family. No longer be a burden to them with when you are in your sins, but to be a blessing to them and serve them now that you're Christ. And call them to turn to Christ and bring them to Jesus to be healed. You're all called to believe on Christ today and promise Him. The promise here is that if you do come to Him and you do believe and you turn from your sins, you will be forgiven of your sins. All of your sins. Just as this man was. And so bring your family, bring your friends, your neighbors to hear Christ. To see Him. Come to Christ, friends. He freely offers all of you who come to Him by faith, even you, even you, salvation and forgiveness of sins. To be, his, to be a child of God. To be adopted into His family if you would believe and repent. And you would be forgiven. And granted salvation from the great judgment and healing to your bodies perfectly and blessings forevermore. It all comes alone from the Lord Jesus Christ who is also the Savior and no one else. It's only found in Him. And so therefore you must come to Him even today. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful once again for our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful that You have taught us Your Word. We're thankful that You grant us wisdom and knowledge and understanding of Your Word. We're thankful for the God who shows mercy and grace by sending Christ into the world to save sinners. And Father, we pray that we would be those who are so saved, brought into the kingdom, and are enabled to sit at the King's table and to commune with You. Father, forgive us of our sins. Grant us salvation by... Excuse me. Grant us faith that we would be justified, that we would be made right in Your sight only for the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. And thereby grant us adoption, bringing us into the family of God and that we would be called sons and daughters, princes and princesses of the King. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.